Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Raglan, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. This week's guest is a relentless performance keynote speaker, Steve Klein. Steve, welcome, and what's your bliss? Thomas, thank you very much. My bliss is helping people get over the hump and realize that they can achieve anything they want to if they're persistent and relentless. I absolutely love that. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Where did that mindset come from for you? Is that something you've always had or something that you had to build within yourself? Uh, the latter. Uh, I had to build it. It, pr it probably was there without my realizing it. And I had a number of people realize that, that being relentless was what I was. But in going through a number of setbacks and adversities, looking back in my life, I realized that I was able to not quit, keep going, make it happen by becoming relentless. And, and it's, it's helped me now put together a, a formula to help other people do it too. Yeah, absolutely. Is there something that's surprised you throughout that journey of, of kind of finding that relentlessness within yourself and also others? Is there something that surprised you with all of that work? I don't know if it really surprised me, but it helped me realize that setbacks are a way of life. Adversity is a way of life. Problems are a way of life. Uh, and most people will stop, quit, or give up when something bad happens. And the question is not, can I get it, but when I get it. And, and the graph doesn't go like this. Right. The graph goes like that. It takes a while to make it happen. And that's really what I discovered. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, we live in kind of that uh, instant gratification culture too, right? Where we want it right now and maybe we're not putting in the work that we need. So, um, so what does it take then? What does it take to become relentless? It's, it's persevering. It's sticking to it. But, but really the first, the first key is knowing what you want very clearly because if you don't know what you want, if it's, if it's a vague generality, you're not really going to do much to make it happen. But once you know what you want, the ideas begin to come to you. Now, they may not come right away. Like I said, the graph kind of goes on a sliding scale like that. But they will come. And sometimes, just at times, you don't even realize it come in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, could be while you're taking a shower, while you're driving down the road. But ideas come with you and to, to find ways to make it happen. So you, you hit on this a few moments ago that I think the biggest problem in the United States today is that people quit and give up. There are a lot of people that have become successful, especially during the pandemic, but the ones that quit and give up never do find going along with your show, find their bliss. Right. Yeah. They, um, th there's something that, that continues that barrier for them and they're not able to find their way through it, around it, on top of it, anything. They, they just kind of let that be the end of the road. Um, and it's why, interesting why do you, you think that is? Well, I was going to say, it's interesting you use the word barrier because one of the things I talk about is that we can break through any barrier. But yeah. you asked me, why, why are people like that? And I think it's, it's because there's so much that's given to us. Yeah. The average person can survive without being tremendously successful. I mean, it's not difficult to get a job and make money and survive, but it takes someone that really yearns, really wants it. We see people that come to the United States from other uh, countries where they've, they've had it very, very difficult. 
And these people have realized that they've gone through a lot and it's not that difficult to keep going, make those things happen. So the question is, uh, there's a quotation that, uh, that I heard by Thomas Monson uh, about, we're not going to get it today if we don't do something uh, before that. It, it, it has to be something we're focused on and we do the things necessary to make those things happen. Yeah, you've talked a couple of times kind of about that clear focus, and I'm wondering how, uh, if we can train ourselves to be more clear in that focus, and, and are there ways that we can do that? Oh, absolutely. We need to crystallize our thinking. We need to know what we want to have. One of the examples I use when I'm doing some of my talks is I'll ask people, uh, if you were to take a check to the bank to cash, and where the dollar figure goes, you wrote more money you probably wouldn't get much money from the teller at the bank. Right. We live in a world of specifics, and most of us have not been taught that. We go to school, uh, we learn the ABCs, we learn the multiplication tables, but we're not really taught how to think and focus on those things we, we have. A hazy goal produces at best a hazy result and usually no result at all. And for those people that have figured it out, and, and that's really a, a very small percentage of people that are able to figure that out. But the, that world is actually open to really anyone if they crystallize their thinking. Yeah, one of the other pieces that you're talking about, to me, sounds like uh, kind of the old adage of practice makes perfect. But what I, my, my old uh, high school wrestling coach would tell you, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that as well of just honing those skills in order to do it the right way. I found a long time ago, this is one of the adversities I had, and I didn't really realize it, that it takes me a long time to learn something new. I mean, I think back to when I was in high school, and I don't remember watching any TV. I can't tell you the TV shows that were on when I was in high school because I was spending so much time studying. I had a lot of extracurricular activities, too. But I'd get home after, um, after school. I'd usually get home about 6 o'clock after being on the track team or gymnastics. And, and I spent all night studying. I just had a hard time getting it. And I thought that was a learning disability. It really isn't. Because what I do now, when I want to learn something, I have to keep going over and over and over. So I schedule my day to do some of the things that are necessary to get to where you want to go. Mark Twain said, eat a frog first thing in the morning and the rest of the day will be great. Uh, and, and that's really what it's all about. Do the difficult things early when, you're, when your mind is fresh and you keep going over them and over and, and all of a sudden it's there. How does having that daily plan, um, you know, set you up for even more success? I mean, you, what you're talking about is, is certainly doing those, those difficult things first, but I'm curious, just in general, having that kind of daily plan, that daily schedule, um, how has that kind of helped you not just be more relentless, but just find that joy within it? Well, one of the things I do, I'll, I'll plan out two or three weeks in advance of things I have to do. And I have lists. I have so many things I, that I want to get done that I have to have lists and I check them off. What I do and the way I do it is I do a little tiny bit every single day. I don't attempt to heat, eat the whole elephant at one time. I'll eat pieces of the elephant until it's, it's done. So I generally get up at four o'clock in the morning to start my day. I'm a morning person anyway. I go to bed early and I get up. And, and what's nice about getting up that early, matter of fact, I have a piece of my talk where I talk about getting up at least at five o'clock in the morning. But it's amazing how much we can get accomplished early by having the chance to relax 
and not being being pushed. The average person, uh, if something goes wrong while they're getting ready in the morning, uh, has it's a, it's a catastrophe for them. And which brings up something else too. We generally live our life by habit. And when we get ready in the morning, we do things by habit. Sometimes we don't even think about what we did. We didn't even know how we did it that morning, except for which clothes to put on. Habits can be learned. And I think it was Aristotle that said, excellence is, is not an act, it's a habit. And we have to keep doing those things over and over. How do you learn a foreign language? You have to keep studying it. You have to speak to other people. Uh, you have to use it. That's how we learn. That's how we change. I think it was Albert Einstein that said that we, he was using probably 15% of his potential. Well, if that's the case, I'm probably using 2% of mine. And that's not bad because I have so much more I can accomplish. And so does everybody else. We have all this stuff in our head. We can use it if we figure out how to get into it. And you're talking about habits. I'm, I'm wondering if there were any, as you were kind of breaking into this and, and, and this profession and, and what you've built for yourself, were there any bad habits that you had to break? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I had a, a lot of bad habits because what happens, we fall into things. I was sleeping up until, uh, oh, I was about uh, 20 years ago. I sleep until noon on the weekends. I just sleep. Now I'm, I'm uh, hypothyroid because, and, and I have a slow metabolism and I just slept. I never made a decision to wake up early. Now I wake up at five o'clock on the weekends, not as, as early as four o'clock during the week, but now I realize that I can control whatever I want to do. And bad habits just happen because we let them happen. We don't even think about those things. I have five, what I call pillars or mindsets in the talk that I give, and my first one is called lock your sights, which is similar to crystallizing your thinking. You have to lock your sights on what you want to accomplish so strongly that that's all you see. You're almost like a horse with blinders on. And even though all the stuff is coming at you, you're still focused on where you want to be. And yes, you'll slip and fall. Uh, yes, you'll take two or three steps backwards to go one step forward, but you're still moving. It's available to anyone if they figure out what they want to have, crystallize your thinking or lock your sights, develop a plan and just work it every day. I really, I really love that. And as someone who's also a morning person and prefers to get uh, most of my things done in the morning, because I, I feel like I tend to kind of, uh, you know, peter out towards the end of the day. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm completely, uh, and, and like you said, it sets you up for success, which I think is, is ultimately why I love it too. I'm wondering how much, mental uh, flexibility and mental toughness play into being able to create those plans and be able to see them through? Well, let's go back to you, what you said about being a wrestler. I lived with two wrestlers during college mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, uh, the days before they had an event and having to lose 20 pounds, it was just awful living with them because they became very mean because they were so focused on getting what they want to have. <laughs> but mental, mental attitude is, is what it's all about. I think um, Navy SEALs call it the 40% rule in that people will give up at 40% of their capacity unless they make a decision to stay with it longer. You know, if you're lifting, lifting weights over and over, all of a sudden it becomes so hard you want to give up but there's still 60% more there that we can do. So it's a mental attitude. My second pillow that I talk about is to stop thinking. 
Once you lock your sights on what you want to have, stop thinking and just do it. Now, I don't literally mean stop thinking, but you have what you need and you can let your mind come up with the answers to make those happen. This is, this is the, uh, the new frontier. This is something that, that we haven't understood in all these years. We're beginning to understand more about it, but we have the potential to make anything happen. One of the things I'll, I'll, I'll explain to people is that our mind is a mental magnet, that we attract to us that which we think about. One of the examples I'll give people is, is I'll ask them the last time they bought a new car. And I'll ask, did you notice that after you bought the car, you start noticing a lot more of the exact same car on the road? And they said, well, yeah, I did. And that's because they all went out and bought the same car at the same time you did, didn't they? Well, no, you never paid attention to them before. Or women, they get pregnant. Their husbands or, or the woman that's pregnant start noticing more pregnant women. It's all of a sudden right. in the water. No, it was there already. Just didn't pay attention. So by locking our sights and stopping think, stopping stop thinking, we begin to attract to us like a magnet what we need to make those things happen. Yeah, that's uh, I, and the, the examples that you gave were excellent, and I think, um, like you said, really locking your sights. And it, it's funny because there's a lot of times where people will tell you not to do that, right? Not to get that tunnel vision. But I think for what you're what you're speaking about and how to kind of lock in mentally and how to how to have that relentless mindset, you absolutely need to do that. I'm wondering how these approaches have differed for you within, if at all, within speaking and within sales. It's, it all goes together. I'll, I'll go backwards a little bit to my uh, first job out of college. I was hired as a one-man news staff uh, for a small radio station in Nebraska. And I was paid a grand total, this was a while ago, I was going to paid a grand total of $500 a month working 18 hours a day. Six weeks after getting the job, my, dog, my, my boss took me out to coffee. And as we were drinking coffee, he fired me. I'm sitting there wondering what's going to go on. I'm 600 miles away from home. But he said, have you ever thought of going, about going into sales? Apparently, he hired a salesperson that had a background in news, and we switched jobs. My sales training was being handed a rate card and a list of people to see and told to go sell. Wow. I had to figure it out on my own. Now, fortunately, I believed in what I was doing, and I had some mild success, but I had to begin to study and work on what I had to do. That ultimately led to a book that I wrote called Sell When You See the Whites of Their Eyes. And it helped me, I help other people realize that it's it's many times, especially in sales, it's a numbers game. And it is with life too. We have to keep going through it a number of times. We don't know what that number is gonna be, but it is there and we can make those things happen. That goes along with my third step of my pillar, which I call own it, then own it. We have to own, you were talking about mindset before, own what we have before we're there. And then we begin to do the things necessary to make those ha things happen. It's almost like reverse engineering. You own it and then you begin to figure out what you have to do to make it happen. Right. Yeah. I, I think the reverse engineering is, uh, is certainly a key piece of that. And yeah, I, I think the, the, I guess the follow-up that I have with that is when, you know, you mentioned at the very beginning that it's kind of helping people through uh, that adversity and helping people through setbacks. And what you're talking about is kind of owning that. And also what I'm, what I'm kind of picking up too, is that there's always, there's always a path, even if something's in the way, or even if uh, the, uh, you know, another path is, is closed or you know, temporarily closed or whatever, but there's always a path. And so I'm, I'm wondering just in general, like what, 
what you see the role of setbacks. You talked about, you know, you basically switched entire careers based on uh, the uh, a setback of being fired, but also this, you know, this boss who had faith in kind of your abilities to do this. And I'm wondering how setbacks have helped form your entire philosophy. Setbacks. I hate, I absolutely hate setbacks and I still have them on a, on a regular basis, but in, in really understanding what a setback is, it's designed to help make you learn. When you go into something for the first time and you've never done it before, you don't know what you're going to be up against. Uh, you don't know what that plan is. Uh, for instance, sell based on everything I did. So I can show people what they don't have to go through. I'm working on something else right now, um, a new piece of my business, and I've been doing a lot of studying from a lot of different sources and putting together the, the piece I need to have, and I've, I'm slowly beginning to understand what steps I have to take to get there. But you have to do research many times to, to, to make that happen. And when I talk about setbacks, I'm gonna jump ahead to my, my fifth pillar, and I call it bounce back. Uh, the, it, I, I, in my talk, I give a lot of, I give a lot of stories about highly successful people and what they had to go through when they bounce back to make it happen. I mean, I, I, I have people that have, have uh, dropped out of school. They, they, uh, uh, failed a number of grades. They had all these setbacks, but they kept going. They didn't quit. And that's really the key. Now for a lot of people, they need to have somebody they can lean on when these things happen. Because you need to have somebody that, that can say, okay, you've had a setback. This is what you want to do. Continue going. Now, I do a little coaching with people, so I do that with them also. What do you feel? That's, a, that's a, an excellent point. And we've, we've talked a, a number of times on the podcast about kind of both of those pieces, the idea that failures or setbacks or things are ultimate learning opportunities. And we often do need someone there to support us through that because it can feel pretty damaging. And I'm wondering for yourself, what has been kind of your support network, your community as you've you know gone through this career and this life? Well, I have a number of people that I stay in touch with. Uh, one is a good colleague of mine I've, I've had for about 40 years who's been in the leadership business. And he is one of the best listeners that I've, I've ever met. And that's what you want to have. Somebody's one to listen to. It, it's, it's almost like therapy when you can have somebody that you can, you can talk out your problems with. Because sometimes when you got it stuck in your head and there's nobody to talk to, there's nobody to discuss it with, you, you think the worst. And I have that happen occasionally. One of the things I do first thing in the morning is I have a dog and she, she just loves going out. So I walk her first thing in the morning. And Stanford University did a study, and they found out that of all the things we do, walking is 60, we, a person that's walking gets 60% more ideas than if they're sitting. Mm -hmm. And by walking every morning, I get these ideas, I focus I wanna, what I want to have, I think over the setbacks, the problems, and, and the negatives that have gone on in my life, and I realize they're not that bad. I'm still walking, I'm still breathing, I'm, I'm, I'm with my dog, it's beautiful outside. And that sets my day in motion to make those things happen. So for, for a highly successful person, and I'm saying that successful people are successful, even before they reach the pinnacle of what they want to have, they begin to understand how to filter through all the negatives in their head. We have, we're, we're talking to ourselves all the time. We have the neighborhood of 50,000 thoughts uh, a day, and we need to learn how to, uh, to, to change those 
one of the things I do every morning, I've been doing this for a number of years, is I have a number of affirmations. I'll read them myself. Affirmations that are as if I'm there already. I have over eight pages I go to, in addition to a gratitude page that I look at, to get my head straight first thing in the morning. Now, does it work all the time? No, but it works more often than not. And it gets me straight in terms of of what I want to do. Yeah, and if we're getting our mindset started that way with gratitude, with affirmation, then we are setting ourselves up, you know, even if it is eating the frog at the beginning of the day, like we've already set ourselves up for, um, you know, much more success than if we are having that negative self-talk. And I'm curious, other than, other than the strategies of kind of the preemptive strategies that you've talked about, are there times, are there ways in the moment that you uh, think to help or that you can recite for us uh, to help people in the moment who are struggling with that negative self-talk. Something has just happened. It's middle of the day. We don't see where the end is going to be. Are there, are there strategies that we can employ to say, let's kick that back into that positive self-talk? That goes back to owning it, than owning it. Uh, I mentioned before about crystallizing your thinking and locking your sights. If you know what you want specifically, you can then start telling yourself, that's the way I am. Let's say that a person wants to be worth uh, or, or, or make a million dollars. Say to yourself, I am now making one million dollars. I've made one million dollars. Say it as if it's happened already. Or um, I have saved one million dollars. Or I own my own company. I own a very successful company. We're making $500,000 a year. Say it as if it's happening right now and get rid of the word will, W-I-L-L. When you say, I will do it, your mind says, fine, we're just going to wait until you have it. Say this if you're right now. Your mind can't take a joke. It accepts whatever you tell it. If you tell yourself you're stupid, you'd start doing dumb things. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, many people have gone through this, as I have, is I'll talk to a lot of people and say, well, I can't remember people's names. Well, you, you keep telling yourself and your mind stops. So let's say you keep telling yourself that. And one evening you go to a party and you want to remember everybody's name at that party. But you've told yourself you can't remember more than you told yourself, I want want to remember their names. And after the party's over, you forget them. We have to keep programming ourselves over and over and over over again. It's a concept called spaced repetition. 62% of everything we know has been presented to us at least six times. That's what advertisers do. They keep bombarding us with something. That's why we know um, what McDonald's theme is. I'm loving it. Or Nike, just do it. We've heard it so many times, it's, it's automatically there. We need to do the same thing for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an example of something that you, either early on or, or even now as you're doing that, that, that you've done that, where you say, I, you know, I've done this, I have to repeat this several times, something that's, that's stuck with you? Uh, I have a number of them. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples in a moment. Yeah. One of the things I also do for the the uh, five or six key goals that I have, not only do I say that affirmation, but in the book that I use, I have pictures of what I want to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll look at the picture and or I'll close my eyes and I'll see exactly what I will accomplish. Now, I have a dollar figure for the amount I want to earn in a year and I have a dollar figure for the amount I want to be worth. And I have an actual picture of that. Uh, one of the things I give away at my talks is million-dollar bills. They are not real because there's no <laughs> such thing as a million-dollar bill. But I tend to give those out. I give things like uh, put those in front of me. As a matter of fact, um, I don't. Yes, I do believe I have one right here. 
um, right on my wall of my desk. This is a um, uh, this is a ten million dollar bill that I have in front right. of me, which yeah. is not real. But, but it's little things like that that you can put in front of you uh, to get what you want to have. I tell people if there's a car you want to have, get a picture of it, put it in front of you. Matter of fact, one of the best ideas I'll suggest, and I, I just thought of another one in a moment too, is is uh, go to the dealership and have uh, the dealer take a picture of the of you in the car with your cell phone and look at that every day put it as the as the first thing you see on your phone uh, on a daily basis if there's a certain amount of money you want to have write yourself a check for that amount of money matter of fact there's a famous actor that did that 7 years before he got it he wrote uh, out a check for 10 million dollars for acting services rendered he received that um, exact amount 7 years later wow. for playing in a movie called Dumb and Dumber and his name was Jim Carrey. But the one I like even better is write out a deposit slip for yourself. Write out a deposit slip, the amount of money you want to have, and uh, and look at that every day. And again, take a picture of it, put it on a homepage of your computer, put it on as the first thing you see on your, on your camera, and look at that every day because your mind will soak it up and be give, begin to give you new ideas on how to make those things happen. Yeah, again, it's, it's um, you know, we, we talked about relentlessness and that is, um, I think people probably hear that in one way, especially when we're talking about sales or, or things like that. But what you're talking about here is really being relentless in the way that you train your mind and the way that you allow yourself to speak to yourself and allow yourself to give yourself goals that that can exist and also don't have to be nebulous because what you're saying is absolutely true. If you say, I will do this, your brain's going to kick into that procrastination mode, right? I know mine is for sure. Um, and so it's like, I can always do it another day because I will get to it someday. And, and what we're talking about here is no, like this is, this is how you, for a buzzword, this is how you manifest that, right? Um, for, and, one of the things I'll, one of the things yeah. I'll tell people is, is if do you want to wake up one morning when you're 80 years old, and look back and see all the things you wish you could have done that you cannot do now. Do those things right now. Find the money for it. How much money is out there? There's so many different ways to make money and to earn money. We can do the things we want to do and develop some priorities. And the word you just used, the other P, that's about as, as bad a word as I hear as, as quitting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. In speaking of just being relentless, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that folks may not know about you is that you uh, survived a plane crash. <laughs> um, can you talk about that and how that, you know, uh, continued to enhance kind of this this thought process? Well, it, it, it wasn't a plane crash in the way that most people would think about. I was um, when I was living in Nebraska. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do. It was a town of 20,000. So I decided I was going to learn how to fly an airplane. And there was a, a small ex-army um, uh, base that was near where we were. There was uncontrolled airfield. It was very inexpensive at the time, inexpensive, and I learned how to fly. And uh, I moved to Kansas and lived in Salina, Kansas, which has the second longest runway in the United States after DFW Airport. And it was nice, long, it was easy to fly. But I had some friends with, with us, and we went to uh, Abilene, Kansas, which is, oh, about 50 miles from Salina, which has the longest legal runway in the United States. As I'm, as I'm coming down to land, I'm coming a little bit too hot, which means I wasn't going as slow as I should have. 
And I realized there's no way I could stop before I hit the other runway. And the other runway had lights sticking up. And if I would have kept going, I would have crashed right in the lights. So I pulled the plane up a little bit, maybe two or three over the lights, landed in a bean field across the street from the airport, which wasn't so bad, except yeah. the bean field was going like this. And it had rained the night before. So the plane is now stuck in mud. The farmer that had the bean field didn't like the airport. It was also a Sunday afternoon during football season, and he was a football fan. He was not happy as, as, at all. Uh, but that, that was my, my quasi-plane crash and surviving it. <laughs> I, I mean, still, I think that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, farmer aside, that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, still wild. And, and the idea that, um, you know, again, it's something you put your mind to and said, hey, I'm going to do this. You did it. And even if, you know, you crashed that time, like it, it was something that, Again, gives you, hey, maybe there's a setback, but you know, now again, I have that path forward. I'm curious. And, uh, had, yeah, go ahead. I was going to. It's, it's interesting. The the owner of the plane company came there after uh, he found out what I did, and he didn't want me to fly back. I said, I'm going to fly back. If I if I rent the plane, I'm going to fly back. Yeah. Because I realized, like falling off a horse, you got to get back on again, which I did. I'm sorry, I interrupted you too. No, yeah. no, that's okay. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate that as well. And again, yeah, that's a. Uh, it's it's kind of adding to that follow through, right? I I need to see this through, and and there was a barrier here, but I'm still going to see it through. Um, you we we've had a few authors on, uh, a few folks who've authored books. I'm curious about your uh, journey to authoring your book. Um, and again, it's uh, sell when you see the whites of their eyes. What what a what inspired it, and b what was your experience like with actually writing the book? What inspired it was I wanted to get on paper exactly what I did. Uh, at the very beginning of the book, I have a disclaimer that says that there's a lot of things I learned over the 20 years I was, I was working on it. And what happens is when you learn somebody's stuff, you own it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I said in there that if you let me know it was yours in the next edition, I'll, uh, I'll put your, um, your name in there, which has not happened yet. But I wanted to put on paper what I had gone through to, to get to where I wanted to be. Uh, the book is basically on, on two things. One, it's on activity. And secondly, and almost more importantly, is on relationships. You can't have one without the other. If you're going to be in sales and you have a high activity without relationships, you're going to see lots of people and not make sales. If, you're, if you have relationships, but you don't have a lot of activity, you're going to make a lot of friends not make sales. You have to have those relationships and the activity and marry those together. That's really what the book is all about. I had to learn that there was nothing really out there that taught me how to do it. Now, is, is my book the, the only book you need to have to learn how to sell? No. These are just these things that happened for me, and they've been proven. I worked for a company um, after I left radio, and I was the because of what I had learned, I was top salesperson on 507 years in a row. One year, I was number one out of 5,000 uh, uh, worldwide. That's because I developed the, the high activity. I was making upwards of 14,000 telephone dials. This is before uh, email. 14,000 telephone dials a year, and I was wearing out keypads. That's part of being relentless. You have to do whatever you have to do. And people say, well, how, my God, how could you have done 14,000 a year? Well, if you break it down, there was only 50 a day. And from uh, 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning, I made my 50 dials. Now, not everybody was there, but I made my 50 dials. And to this day, I continue making, I don't make quite 50, but I continue making my calls every single day, no matter what happens. Wow. 
Yeah, that's um, yeah, and that attitude again, that mindset is uh, I know a big part of how you were able to be number one, how you were able to, uh, to continue that. And it sounds like it's, uh, as you were just saying, it's continued to this day. This is still a practice that you are doing and, and seems to be working very well. Um, I'm curious what, um, you know, as you're, as you're developing the book, as you're writing it, uh, were there pieces that you felt like, Hey, this, um, this doesn't make sense to go in there or, or were there, were there again, those little setbacks that, that you had to experience? Well, it was interesting. Once I decided to write the book, I was doing a lot of traveling. And all I knew is I wanted to write a book. And I remember reading someplace that a famous author said that he wrote at the same time at the same place every day. Well, I couldn't do that because I was traveling. So I decided that I was going to write one page a day in the airport waiting for my airplane or on the airplane. And that's what I did for three months. Every day I wrote one page and all of a sudden I had 90 pages. So I had to start reworking all that, but I, it was just free flowing ideas. I read that, um, um, a number of authors will write, um, Stephen King, as a matter of fact, goes to his desk and writes every single day, regardless of a holiday or birthday. And he won't leave his desk without writing at least 2000 words. It's just a matter of just, you keep getting information on paper, then you can organize it. If you're, if you're thinking through about what am I going to write and you don't get started until you know exactly what it is, you'll never get started. So just start writing. I've written a number of articles and, and what I do is I'll write a few paragraphs. I'll stop. The next day I come back and I don't like what I wrote and I'll rewrite it until, and it takes me about two or three weeks to write an article that's about a page long, but I keep going back and tweaking it. But you have to get that on paper to begin working on it. And then once I had the book relatively complete, I uh, worked with my publisher on that, and there were still more tweaks I had to do, both um, both content and uh, and grammar to get it right. So it, it took a while. I'd say it probably took me two years altogether to get the book, book published after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a process. We're definitely learning that uh, from all of the people who've authored books that we've spoken with. And, and I think almost every single one to my memory has said the same thing. You just have to start. Um, and that's something that we've has been a theme for, for us throughout this entire uh, call, which is you just have to start. W- once you start, you'll, you'll get that momentum and, and, and you'll be able to kind of see those things ahead of you because you're, you're lasered in, you're focused, you're crystal clear. And I think that that's important. Um, as we're, we're talking about like, the, you know, that, um, resiliency and, and, and keeping up with things. Have there been times where you've said, or, or is there ever a time where it's like, okay, enough is enough. This, this doesn't work. This is, it is time to quit. It is time to, to just set it aside. Yes, but not to quit altogether. Mm-hmm. I've found that I've, I've put in all this time and it hasn't worked right. So I'm going to switch the way I'm doing it. So I don't stop what I'm doing. I'll start doing it a different way. Let me give you one example. I, th- I think I had sent this information to you. Um, I'm a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. And what was interesting when I got into it, I was older. Uh, this was about um, 15 years ago. And when I started, I was with a lot of kids and the first belt that we got after the white belt was a yellow belt, and you were supposed to get it in about three months. I had kids around me getting it, and I couldn't get it. It took me nine months, nine months to get my first belt, and all the other kids had been tested and getting and, and got it. So I decided to double down. Instead of going three nights a week, I went every night plus weekend, six days a week, 
two-hour classes to learn martial arts. I got my first degree black belt and I finally got my second degree and it took um, about three and a half years to get my third degree black belt. And at that time I began teaching the class. So I went from not being able to do it and it took a long time to the point by the time I did leave. And by the way, the reason I left it because I blew out one of my hips um, from doing all the kicks. And I decided that's, I'm not going to keep pushing that too, too much longer. And that was a physical thing. Um, but I went from not being able to do it to actually teaching the class. Uh, you can go up to, I believe, either eighth or ninth degree um, um, uh, black belt, but the number of years it would have taken to do that was way beyond what I wanted to put on into that. So it wasn't a matter of quitting. I attained my goal and then went on to something else. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of that had some reframing that you had to do for yourself of, and probably some, Hey, I I'm not getting this in the same way or as fast or in, for some reason, the learning environment is not conducive, right? There, it sounds like there was a lot of pieces at play. And so what you did is you said you doubled down, but, but really what you did was you said, I'm going to find the path that works for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to explore that because I am not going to, it's not going to work for everybody. So I'm going to find the one that works for me. And, and that's really the key to do anything. We, we need to find out what the path was. When we go down a path and it's not the right one, then we have to go back a little bit and we have to try a different path. It's interesting in my entire life, every time I've decided to do something new that I've never done before, I thought it was going to be relatively easy. And looking back, I'd say 99% of the things I've ever done and have accomplished was not easy at all. Right. In addition, I had to change the path to where I was going and, and realize that it, it's a, in many times it's a physical thing as I was, as I um, had to go through with, with Taekwondo, it's learning the physical moves of what you have to do. But in most cases, it's a mental thing. And we have to change those neurons up there that give us ideas to attract what we want to have. My fourth pillar, and I, the one I skipped a few moments ago is what I call you need to eat nails for breakfast, which means you need to do the hard stuff. It's, it could be sitting down at your computer and typing for a half an hour a day and writing a book. It could be going every single day to, uh, to a physical activity like I did in martial arts. But you have to eat nails for breakfast. You have to be willing to go through it. You take a look at any athlete, Olympic athlete does won a, a medal or even gone to the Olympics, and you, you hear about the amount of effort they put in to get to where they wanted to go. You can't just have it, have it handed to you. And matter of fact, too many people have stuff handed to them and it doesn't mean very much to them. By actually going through everything we've been talking about, that makes it mean a lot more. Yeah, it, not only the, the, the actual attainment, but you learn so much from the journey of getting there. And you don't get that if you don't have those stumbling blocks or you don't have to find you know paths sometimes. Like Those are all key pieces of that not just the, the physical journey, like you were talking about with Taekwondo, but the intellectual journey of, Hey, I'm just, tr I'm trying to enrich my life. And then you're also able to enrich others because the other pieces of what you said is uh, not just with um, Taekwondo, which then you, you know, ended up teaching the class, but this is something that you do now also when you're coaching people, which is kind of flip the tables. Like I, I not only got myself here, but I want to get you there. And I'm, I'm wondering where that, uh, desire to just continue to help people in that way? Um, is that, again, something that's kind of always been there? Or when did you realize, hey, I really want to give back in this specific way? I've always wanted to help people in giving of what I have, but you can't give what you don't have. So the more that you accomplish, 
the more that you can give to people. And first of all, I love speaking. Interesting, as far as university, when I was going, when I was growing up and I was in high school, uh, I had such a poor self-image that in between classes in high school, I had to look down on the floor. I couldn't look people in the eye. And here I am, I'm getting paid to speak in front of sometimes thousands of people, which really isn't as difficult as, as, we, as most people think it is. But it, it was something I had to get over. And the first time I spoke in public, I was absolutely scared to death. Matter of fact, I was running for sophomore class president. And to this day, I do not remember why I even had to do that. But I was on a stage with, with 600 of my fellow students in front of me, and we had a lectern that was wooden. I grabbed onto it so I wouldn't fall over. And there was a wooden wooden floor that the lectern was sitting on. And after I gave my, gave my one-minute speech, I asked a couple of friends of mine how I did. And they said, we don't know. I said, why? They said, you were so nervous. You were banging the wooden lectern on the wooden floor so hard, oh, no. no one could hear what you were saying. That was my first uh, introduction. It couldn't have gotten much, much worse than that, you know, other, other than maybe falling over and dying. But we, we, many times we have to be embarrassed. We, we have to do those really stupid things, and we have to realize it's okay. We'll, we'll pick ourselves up and keep going. Sometimes we'll do something and find out it's not right for us. That's okay. I've done a lot of things in my, in, in my, in my life. Um, uh, I've done martial art, arts. Um, I was in track in high school. Matter of fact, I still do track. I do senior Olympics in track and field. But there are certain things we do that we just don't want to do anymore, and that's okay. But at least we put the effort into it to get to where we want to be. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're finding, again, those things. It's okay to not have everything be an interest or a passion area or something that you're good at, right? Um, but to, but you, have to, you have to do the work. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here is, is there, there's work to be done and, and, you, and you certainly have to do that. I'm curious as someone who's given tens of thousands of presentations to millions of people at this point, is, are, there, are there any presentations or, or speeches that, uh, or audiences that stand out to you? Uh, none in particular, but the ones that I enjoy working with the most are kids in school. There is a program called AVID, A-V-I-D, and I've never focused on remembering the A-V and I, but the D stands for determination. This is a six-year program for kids beginning in seventh grade, mostly for low-income kids that do not have the money to pay to go to college. And for six years, seventh, eighth, and then all through high school, they are learning how to learn a, and B, they're learning how to get accepted into college and get scholarships. Now, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I don't think I decided on my college or where I was going to apply to until my second semester senior year. These are kids in seventh grade that have the logo of the college they want to go to on their three-reminder. They are locked into it. They've locked their sites, and that's where they want to be. When I give talks to these kids, and I do a lot of pro bono talks, and this, this is some of them, the best audiences I have are kids because they're not influenced as much by the negatives that a lot of adults have. And I'll do my talks and, and I do evaluation forms. And for the most part, I get nothing but, but positives on my evaluation forms. But there's occasionally there's, there's a good one, two or 3% of people that either didn't get it, don't understand it. But when I'm working with kids, one of the things I do in my talks is I do a lot of puzzles in terms of brain games and how to accomplish something. 
And kids can figure it out quicker than adults can. And I have more success in work with them. So as far as a group who my best audience has been, it's been kids. And these are the kids in the in the age range from uh, um, about 10 to 12 years old. Yeah, a couple of things that uh, really spoke to me there was one thing that has also become a bit of a theme on our podcast is talking about that childlike ability to not be as cynical, to not have that much negativity, right? We, we talk about it early, in early childhood as that, that awe, that childlike awe, right? We don't get to see the world as adults who are cynical, who've lived through traumas and all of those things. We don't get to live with that awe. We don't, or, or if we find it, we have to really, really work for it. Whereas kids, they just they just get to live and they just get to exist. And, and at some point, you know, cynical adults take that away from them, unfortunately. And then the world kind of beats that out of them. Um, but the second thing uh, you talked about, which was AVID, which uh, I'm a huge proponent of the AVID program, was in the AVID program from seventh grade on. Um, advancement via individual determination um, is, is there AVID. There it is. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I can attest to that. Um, it was very weird for me when I was in, when I was a senior in high school, when students were still deciding where they were going to go. And in eighth grade, we had, you know, we went to every college in the state and even they had tried to set up some out of state visits and all of us had like, Hey, I'm definitely going here. I'm definitely going there. And most of us followed that path. Um, so I'm a big proponent of the AVID program, but I think it's, I think it's really great that you're, you're, you're working with those, those kids. Cause they, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a, like you said, there's typically it's low income students, typically it's students who, uh, are going to be first generation, those types of things. So it's trying to prepare them uh, ahead of time, but it's, a, it's a really good program. Um, as we're kind of uh, wrapping up here, that, that went quickly for me. Um, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I just have a couple of last questions. The first one is, um, and I think you've given some really good examples of this already, but if you had any advice, if you had to just boil down the advice for how people can find bliss through this relentless living, through, um, through kind of finding themselves, through this positive self-talk, what are, what are all of these things? How, how do my listeners find bliss through that? It'll be different for everybody, but for me, the way I do it, many times I'll just, uh, one of the things I do is I get, I mentioned I get up early in the morning and I go to my office. I get the office about six o'clock. It's quiet. There's nobody there. There's nobody around. Uh, as we were doing this interview, my, uh, I'm at home right now, not in my office, but my dog walked in a couple of times. She stuck her head under the desk and she had to be petted. But at the office, I'm by myself and it's quiet. And I can just sit down and focus on what I want to accomplish. And I recommend to people if they're looking for the bliss, and I don't, I haven't used that word. I will talk about being relentless in what in, in accomplishing your bliss. But if you if you're looking for something that's important to you, just do some writing. Just just write some things down. Do some research. See what's out there that you might want to accomplish. And at the very least, learn something new. One of the one of the goals that I have is on a yearly basis, do something I've never done before. So as a result, result of that, I, uh, um, I've bungee jumped. I've jumped off an airplane. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I learned how to fly an airplane. Um, one of the things I want to do that I haven't done yet is be shot out of a cannon um, and, and crazy things like that. But the day that I decide I want to jump out of an airplane, this is a tandem jump. So you have your, you have your instructor behind you, and you get into a small plane, and there's no seats there so because you have room to sit down. I had a woman sitting to my left, and she and I started talking. She said, have you ever jumped before? I said, no, I haven't. This is my first time. I said, how about you? She said, yeah, my first time too. She said, I'm 54 years old. I've never been in an airplane before. Wow. 
So here is a 54-year-old woman that's going to jump out of the airplane, and she's not even going to land in her first time up. And I looked at her, I said, you're my hero. You're my absolute hero. And that was interesting. She jumped before I did. And when you're getting ready to jump, I sat down on the edge of the plane, and you're looking down, and you're, what, a couple of miles up in the air. I'm heights. I have a fear of falling. So the moment I sat, all I thought was fear for about a split second. The instructor's behind you. He pushes forward. and You have no choice but to go forward. And once you're out, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Those are the kind of things that happen when you start looking for new things that you can do. Look at all the stuff there is out there to do. Why do the same things all the time? Uh, I watch probably more TV than I should, but I know people that that's all they do is they watch TV. They don't go anyplace. They don't do anything. They don't try new foods. Uh, there are very, very uh, few foods that I don't like, but I'll try anything just for the hell of it. If I don't like it, I won't eat it a second time. But you want to start writing down. We, we've heard of something called a bucket list. It could be called anything you want to, but I would sit down and I'd, I'd just start writing. Don't worry about writing more than one or two at a time, but write down those things you want to do or get or become uh, to go where you want to be. So that that's my that would be my my suggestion for finding your bliss. I think that's excellent advice and something that I certainly did when starting this podcast. That was something where I I felt like I was in, caught in that. Oh, I'll do this someday. I'll do this someday. And finally, I said, I'm I'm doing this. We're we're doing this, and this is what it's going to be. And I, I didn't think about it too much after that. And here we are. Uh, I think uh, you know, 12 weeks into the actual podcast itself, but um, we are uh, you know getting interviews set up well into the year. So it's 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 really been great. And I I completely agree. I think once you shift that mindset um, and just make that first move, right? We talked about that a lot. Just make that first first move, uh, tip forward and fall out of the plane. Uh, yeah. All of those things, like just, just make that first move and it's, it's going to come to you. Well, um, let me, let me add more, let me add more one more thing to that. Uh, we're talking about podcasts. I have a podcast also, and I started my podcast eight years ago and here's what happened. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I went along with it and learned along the way and made mistakes. And what was really interesting, uh, my podcast was on radio it was recorded on radio, then put on my website. Now it's straight to podcast. But I never even thought that someone would cancel on me. My very first podcast, the fellow's wife got cancer. You know, what are you going to say? No, you can't not do it. And he had to cancel it. And that's part of it. We learn by having those things happen to us so they don't happen a second time. And I'm sure you've had that happen too. Things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I've, I've had someone, um, uh, no, no call, no show on me, which I never thought would happen. Um, and, um, you know, we were able to, to, to fix it and, and all of that, but it was, um, yeah, it was like that first time it happened. I just turned to my wife and said, I, I think someone just didn't show up. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, definitely felt that too. Um, and then our last question is always just, what would you like to promote? Oh, if anybody has some interest, and, and if I can just show this on the screen, if you want to take a look at the book that I wrote, which is So When You See the Whites of Their Eyes, you can get that on, on uh, Amazon. You can read about that there if you want to take a look at the book. Uh, the podcast I have is called PlaymakersTalkShow.com, PlaymakersTalkShow.com. And then the website I have is uh, is my name on the screen, SteveAClyde.com, and you can uh, find out about my speaking at that point. 
And uh, whether you have interest in my speaking for you, whether you have interest in buying a book or not, or listening to my podcast, please feel free to get a hold of me. Uh, whether we do business or not is, has nothing to do with it. Uh, I'm here to help and I want to give. And that's part of what, what being relentless is all about, too. It's giving more than you get. Mm-hmm. Because the more you put out there, the more that, begun, that comes your way and stuff happens that you don't even expect to happen by giving as much as you can. One of the big things that I do is in, in a lot of the talks I, I give for small organizations that don't have money, I ask them to give me a donation because I, all my donation money goes to animal, animal rescue organizations wow. um, because I believe in, in especially dogs and cats that, um, that um, don't have a home. And that's where all my money goes. So I keep doing that. I work with one. I do a lot of speaking for them. I keep donating to them. I, I hate going there because I want to take every dog home with me. So I have to watch <laughs> what I'm doing. Yep. But um, everybody needs to have something like that. Something where you can give and forget about yourself and realize that it's you're not important. But there's a lot of things you can do when you do follow your bliss. Absolutely. Well said. And uh, Steve, thank you so much. This was a delightful conversation for me. I know our listeners are going to love it. Please pick up the book, uh, Sell When You See the Whites of Their Eyes. Uh, it it uh, you know looks really awesome. I, I really loved being able to, to talk with you. Um, and like I said, I think we've also shifted the focus of what relentless really means. I started at the beginning of this saying, I think people will have a different perspective of what that means and what you brought here and ex- especially how you ended it. But I think it's been clear throughout is that it is about giving. Um, as much, if not more than you're getting. Um, And I think that that came through loud and clear. So Steve, thank you so much for joining and uh, we'll see everybody next time on What's Your Bliss. Thomas, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Good luck, everybody. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at YourBlissPodcast at gmail.com. Please check out AnythingButCredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course the Anything But Credible podcast. Podcast.